it is great, great being with you this morning. As I told Brother Kelly yesterday, um, I'll come and serve peas and cornbread, all right? And then when he gets back, you can go to the, the sirloin steak and every all of that, all right? So just deal with peas and cornbread. Um, I, I am scheduled to be back with you uh, for the four Sundays in September, and I'm looking forward to that because that allows us to kind of develop something. Right now, I'm thinking uh, about the Lord's Prayer and dealing with it at that time. And when I say Lord's Prayer, I'm not. it's not the Our Father, which art in heaven. I'll say more about that if the Lord leads in that direction. I'm talking about the one recorded in John 17, the real Lord's Prayer. So if God will permit, we may spend some time in September going through that. Now, I have a tradition, and the tradition is this. I want to begin by asking you a question, and this is not a rhetorical question. I I really want an answer from you because this is going to set my agenda for not only today, but September. Question is this, do you want me this morning to tell you the truth or make you feel good? How many of you would say, make me feel good? Raise your hand. Be honest. Just make me feel good. Okay. Um, I did ask that question one time, and somebody raised their hand. Okay. I, I appreciate the honesty. Um, how many of you say, tell me the truth? Raise your hand. Okay. You have only yourselves to blame. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, am, I intend to do that because... In the uh, 17th chapter of John, Jesus identified this is the truth. This is what I'm going to preach, so I'm going to tell you the truth. But let me begin by, uh, I want to call your attention to a video. How many of you saw Facing the Giants? Do you remember that? That's been a while back. There's one scene in there that has a profound message uh, to us, and I want to kind of... uh, a tag on to this morning. So if you'd run that video, please. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I knew we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground. Just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. 
That's it, Brock. That's it. Better than 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You got to keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. He's heavy. I know he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. Keep going. Don't quit. Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone. What does that tell us? I think all my life, certainly when I was younger, I, I heard, give it your best. Do your best. My parents taught it to me. As a matter of fact, they had a little phrase they used. A job worth doing is a job worth doing right or well. I heard it. I taught it to my kids over and over again. But the truth is this. What does God deserve from us this morning? What does he deserve from us? Way back in Deuteronomy, Moses told the people, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all uh, all of your soul? And what does that describe? I would put to you this morning that what that describes is that we are called upon to give God the very best of who we are, what we are, and everything we do. God deserves your best. Now, here's the truth. You ask, what does God deserve? What does God require? What does God want from us? And you say, he deserves our best. But, you know, that best is uh, not how you dress. I'm not talking about Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. You remember when Samuel was sent to David's house to anoint the new king? And God warned him during that, uh, that procedure. He said, don't you look on the outside. That's not where I look, God says. Where does God look? He looks on the heart. God looks at the heart. We need to look at the heart and not 
and not the outside. If you're a true believer, though, I can tell you that your primary, your first, your life's vocation is to serve Him. And again, God deserves what? He deserves our best. The very best. Now, I know that because He's the one who set the example. You see, when it came to our salvation, Jesus uh, went the limit. God gave his best. God gave his only begotten son. And we're told that Jesus humbled himself by coming, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what God wants from you this morning. Total sacrifice of your life to Him. Uh, And I'm not talking about martyrdom. It may one day come to that. When I see the way the world's headed, uh, there may be, and some here this morning, martyrdom may be in your future. But that's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm not talking about martyrdom. I'm talking about conviction. Conviction that is seen in real day-to-day living that the world sees and cannot deny. That when they look at you, they see something different. But as true as that is, God deserves your best. That's really not what I want to deal with this morning. Now, the reason why I mention it is because... um, I'm of the opinion that it's it's not real hard to read this book and find out what God wants from us. If you read it at all, you want to find out what God wants from you. But if you're like most of us, the minute you start talking about giving your best, what comes next is guilt, conviction, the reality that a lot of times we don't do that. We don't give him our very best. As a matter of fact, we fail, and quite frankly, we fail big time. Um, I, I preached at a church recently uh, where the pastor is now incarcerated because of a failing in the past. As I talk to the church members, because I know it, it, they're hurt because of it, I had attended one of their Sunday school classes and uh, they had just talked about David and David's sin with Bathsheba. And I said, you know what? David sinned big time too. But he began to rise above it. Don't give up. But the fact is we fail. And I think that uh, uh, that's because what God expects from us, we're not capable of doing by ourselves. If you went through experiencing uh, God... You remember Henry Blackaby asked the question, does God ever ask you to do something you can't do? And the answer is, he always does. He always does. And certainly to live the Christ life is something that is a supernatural requirement that takes more than you have to give. You can't do it on your own. So God doesn't just want something from you. Are you with me? God wants something for you. That's what I want to talk about this morning. God is for us. God wants something for us. Nobody knew that better than the Apostle Paul. You know, the one who admitted, listen to him. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. 
When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Oh, what a wretched man I am. That was Paul, the great Paul of the New Testament. But he didn't give up. He looked up, and as a result, he learned what it took to live the Christ life, to live for Christ. And this morning, because God has miraculously inspired this book by the Holy Spirit, we get to listen to Paul this morning as he tells us how he did it. Tells us how to. And by the way, you do believe it's inspired. I know that. And so God is talking, so it's no longer the Apostle Paul telling us what he wants for us. It's God telling us what, uh, what he wants for us. If you have your Bibles, turn in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. And I understand you uh, are usually read out of the New King James. I'll be referencing some things in uh, ESV. But let's read this from the New King James. Do you all stand when you read? If you'd like to, please join, join me. Ephesians 1, beginning with verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glories of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might, dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Father, I pray, direct us into this passage to learn from it as you have preserved it, that we might learn from it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One day, everyone in this room, if the Lord tarries, you're going to cross across the end zone. Literally, the in zone, okay? And on that day, you will face your maker. Do you believe that? It's true. It's true. There's something's going to happen. You know, gravity, you may jump out of a 20-story building not believing in gravity. But sometime between floor 20 to the ground, you're going to believe it, Okay? You don't have to believe in gravity to experience it. It is a fact. And what God says is the destiny of all mankind to one day appear before him uh, as either saint or sinner, okay, as either born again or lost. You're going to face your maker. And on that day, will you be able to say, I have done my best for the master? Well, I can tell you, you will be able to say that if you're able to say, are you listening? Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. 
that it's not me, but Christ who lives in me. Paul reveals here three things that I believe God has for you and for me this morning. And the first is this. He wants you to have knowledge of him. Knowledge of him. Again, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, that is an amazing statement. That God wants me to know him. And by the way, this is the know uh, of full knowledge and personal experience. This is not hearsay. This is something that you know for sure because you have experienced it. That we can know God considering that God is described in the scriptures as the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God alone is wise. I mean, how can I ever get to know that? Uh, I I am uh, only immortal in Christ, okay? I'm going to die, okay? I haven't always been, but God has always been. Uh, he is the God, the only wise one, and, 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 and yet he's invisible. How can I know him? He's the God who says of himself, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. To which the Apostle Paul adds, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Yet God says he wants you to know him. To know him. Again, that knowledge is intelligent comprehension, full knowledge by experience. And in that knowledge, there is both wisdom and revelation, he says. Now, just think with me for a moment, just to see the depth of what God wants for everyone in this room this morning. He wants you to, in knowledge, uh, to have revelation, apocalypses. Maybe some of you are older enough or from another church that you studied the book of Revelation and you heard it called the apocalypse. The apocalypse. That comes from this word, from the Greek word for revelation, apocalypses. It really means to uncover. Isn't that the strangest thing? The most mysterious book in the Bible for most people has the name of uncovering and making known. But it's true. That's what, that's what it says. It means to, to, to take out of hiding. You know, remember when you used to play hide and seek? Some point you say, ollie, ollie, in free. Revelation is the ollie, ollie, in free. Okay. It is, it is the uncovering. Um, and, 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 but let's face it. There, there are things, uh, that you and I, will never know, never comprehend, until you know God personally. Ever say when you were little, you'd have one of your friends that'd call you a name, and then you'd say, takes one to know one. Takes one to know one. Well, let me tell you, that is true with spiritual things. Uh, until you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, life often just doesn't make sense. 
If you say this more, life doesn't make sense, well, you're in good company. Because apart from what God says, it doesn't. I, I hear people all the time uh, will say, well, why this? Uh, why did this happen? Or why did that happen? Oh, why did my, uh, my grandmother, who loved the Lord so much, why was she killed in a car accident being hit by a drunk, right, drunk driver? Why did God allow that to happen? Happen? Uh, why am, why am I sick? Why did the doctor give a bad report? Uh, uh, why did somebody else get that job? I know I deserved it better than, than they did. Life ever thrown you a curve? If you're normal, it has. A lot of times things happen that we don't, don't expect. But it's not until you know that God began all of this. Beyond these walls, around the world, uh, up to the sun where we're going to have that uh, solar eclipse uh, tomorrow, pass uh, through the universe. Uh, He began all of this with a purpose. It's not until we realize that everything was begun for a purpose that we begin to see that nothing happens without a purpose. God's in charge. Satan's called the God of this world. But he's not God. He's not in control. Uh, and, and it, it happens with a purpose, and, I, and I'm here to tell you, because you told me to tell you the truth. Your health, your prosperity, your happiness isn't that purpose. We're not at the center of creation. Jesus is. Jesus is. Um, his purpose is much higher than my happiness and my desires. I, 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 I have a message that that I preach in which I ask the question, does God anywhere promise that you're going to be happy? And the answer is no. Granted, there's a Greek word that in the old King James is pronounced happy. It should be blessed, uh, blessed, but no, God doesn't promise you'll be happy. His, His goals are far beyond that. My grandmother used to say, this world and one more. We'll say this world and one more. Well, uh, there's more to the story. Paul Harvey used to say, and this is page two. Well, let me tell you, in life, there's a page two. There's an end zone. And Paul tells us that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that, now watch this, is to be revealed to us. That's future tense. Future tense. For the true follower of Christ, I can tell you the best is always yet to come. Always yet to come. Jesus said he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. That word abundantly means it'll blow your mind. He's come to give you a mind-blowing life experience. But in the past, do you realize, many believers seemed most abundant when they were suffering for Jesus. That was the abundant life for them. You see, our citizenship is in heaven. And that's where the prize is. That's the end zone. That's the revelation. God says, I want you to know that. Knowing God, there's revelation. But there's also wisdom. Wisdom. Sophia. It's knowledge, but it's more than knowledge. It's the capacity to understand and use knowledge wisely. We've all known people who had a a lot of knowledge, but absolutely no common sense. No common sense. 
But here the Greek idea of wisdom uh, implies mastering of skill. Uh, you, you master a skill and then you have wisdom. Uh, it's not just knowing about something, but being able to use what you know. Listen, to truly know God and to give your heart and life to Him is to get right in the middle of what God has been doing since Genesis 1-1. It's what life is all about, what it was meant to be when He, listen, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. But how do you learn about God? How do you have that kind of knowledge that is both revelation and wisdom? God wants me to have that. But how do you get it? I mean, some knowledge can be achieved, but knowledge of God must be received. You you can't find it. It's true revelation because you can't find God on your own. He must come to you. He initiates that relationship. And when he does... It is so personal that it changes everything. Remember Job? Oh, he thought he knew God. I mean, he was sacrificing. Every time his sons had a party, he'd have a special sacrifice just in case they did something they weren't supposed to. He was a, Job was a really religious man. He was religious to a fault. But listen... After his time of testing, when he met God personally, that's when he says, I had heard of you, God, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. By the way, I think that's when Job got saved. See, religious people need Jesus too. You can grow up in church. You can buy the pew. But religion doesn't save. Jesus does. How do you meet with God? He's probably not going to wake you up at 3 a.m. tomorrow morning for a personal visit. Well, I think there are two ways that this can be fulfilled. The only two ways that I know, you see it in your notes. First of all, you need to listen to him. Listen. If I can't find God, he comes to me, then I'd better listen to him when he comes. And I better not question what he says. It's absolute foolishness to say the only way I can learn about God is for him to tell me. But then when he tells me, I begin to argue with him. Makes no sense at all. How do you listen? Well, let me remind you of what the Bible says about faith. Remember it? Romans ten seventeen. faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where faith comes from. It comes from the word of God. We receive the knowledge to believe when we listen to what God says in his word. And we continue to grow in knowledge as we learn more and more from this book. That's how we learn. That's how uh, we listen Peter compared the Bible to a lamp shining in a dark place. You want to grow in knowledge of him? Read the book. Don't just read about the book. Oh, there are libraries. You go to Lifeway and there there are untold numbers of books that you can see on a shelf or order about the Bible. That's fine. But don't forget to read the Bible. Not just about the Bible. 
I have uh, been privileged to pastor two churches in my ministry of about 35 years of, of, of pastoring before I retired. And I can tell you that both of those, I felt led to challenge my people to read through the Bible every year devotionally. Just get a good Bible reading plan and read it. Listen to him. The second thing is, we must believe what he says. Believe. You realize believe and faith are the same word in the Greek? One's a verb, the other's a noun. And so believe is faith in action. It's faith in action. When you believe, you put your faith into action. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? If you really believe, you do what he says. Let's face it, a whole lot of people know a whole lot about God. And I mean a whole lot. But what they are doing with all that knowledge is basically just making it head knowledge. It doesn't have its intended effect until it moves about six inches south. From the mind to the heart. You see, you will never see the depths of Christ until you abandon yourself to the will of Christ. Read, listen, learn, live, and you will grow in wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I promise you that the more you experience Christ in you, the more you will realize the second thing that He wants for you. He wants you to have hope in Him. Hope in Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you. When you know about Jesus, it's good information. But when you receive his exceeding and great and precious promises, it changes your life. That's hard knowledge. It'll change you inside out. And God wants that, wants you to have that knowledge. To literally change the direction and focus of your life. That's what God wants. It's interesting, the word no here is not the same word that we used before. We said that, that no is experiential, intelligent knowledge. That's not, it's a different no in the original language here. Uh, in this particular case, it means to recognize, to understand, or to see clearly. To see clearly. When I was learning to drive, my dad kept reminding me, no, he kept warning me, that I would always go in the direction of my eyes. You'll always travel to what has your attention. And it'll happen. When I, when I, it happened in driving when I almost hit that tree because I had my eyes on it. And I learned very quickly. So, here's a truth you can take to the bank. What you hope in and what you hope for will determine how you live. It looks like our world is headed for a time of utter hopelessness. I turn on the news and it seems like I hear the same thing over and over again. And the fact is... Pardon my English. Ain't nobody happy. Nobody's happy. I mean, it's a terrible thing. Everything that most people are trusting in seems to be disintegrating. 
Right now, the stock market is up, and people say, I can buy. It's great. Let me tell you, stock market come down real quick, real fast, whole lot faster. If you want to know about the fall of the housing market, come talk to me. I can tell you from personal experience. Um, so let me ask you, when the bottom falls out, will you fall with it? Are you going to tumble down yourself? And the answer is, not if you realize that God has given us a living hope. It's a living hope. I love the way Paul described it in the Philippian letter. He says in chapter 1, verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Believer, God is going to fulfill his work in, in you. Live for him, and your life will have an eternal effect. And when you die, you leave behind a legacy, not just a memory. You know, you know how long a memory will last? Go to an old cemetery and let it remind you. But legacies live on. Listen, you belong to him, believer. And one of two things is absolutely assured. Either he's coming soon to get you and take you home with him, or you will leave and go with him. But your future is absolutely assured. There is hope in his calling. And God wants you to know that. Wants you to know it. He's got it for you. We didn't find him anyway. So oh, I found Jesus. Well, I know from your experience, that's what it looks like. I, I can still remember where I was sitting in Aurora, Colorado, when uh, uh, after four and a half years of seminary, I finally walked down the aisle and got saved. I can, I can remember that. And I, I might say, well, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus. But the fact is, he found me. He found me. He called me. What did Jesus say? I didn't write this. He said, he wrote it. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's why I believe in eternal security. Because Jesus said it. He said it. And if I can't know God any other way than to hear from him, I dare not argue when he tells me I'm secure. There are no unimportant people in the kingdom. In Christ, we're all king's kids. King's kids. My brother, my sister, don't ever despair. Don't ever despair. But it keeps getting better. The hope includes the riches of his glorious inheritance. Wow. Riches. More than money. It's true wealth. The Apostle Paul wrote in a, to a suffering, vulnerable church and. And uh, uh, the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not a dead one, not a stagnant one, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. God wants you to know that and to see it clearly. Believer, write it down. In Christ, you have an inheritance. Say it with me. In Christ, I have an inheritance. Say it again. In Christ, I have an inheritance. What do you have? 
How secure is it? It's in heaven. I have an inheritance. Are times hard? Then trust the one who is above time. Is the way rough? Then trust the one who says, I am the way. Is money tight? Then say with the Apostle Paul, whenever I lose something, I know that I really don't lose anything because I belong to the one who owns everything. It's all his. Now do you see where he's led us? God wants you to have knowledge of him. But he also wants you to know him. It, it's a unique, one-on-one, personal relationship with the living God. Your hope is in him. Your future is in him. Even your self-esteem is in him. But there's one more thing. He wants you to be empowered by him. Empowered by him. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Listen, we need to be keenly aware that God has done something truly great and amazing on our behalf. God calls it immeasurable greatness. Believer, achieving your salvation was no piece of cake. It took power beyond our wildest imagination. Follow me. He says power. Power. Dunamis. We get dynamite from it. It means potential. Power and reserve. You go by, go to the Hoover Dam and see that great wall and behind it is all that water. That's power behind there. All they have to do is let that water go through and it'll, it'll light a city. It's power in potential. That's what he's talking about here. Peter tells us uh, that his divine power, same word, dunamis, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Folks, write it down. In Christ, you have everything you need for life And for living. Everything. You don't need a second blessing. You don't need anything. You've got Jesus. You have everything you need. My, it's even greater than power. It's great power. Great power. I mean, I I can just see Paul here. He's on a tangent. He's just, he's he's going to seed. Uh, God is saved us by his power. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's great power. Great power. Greatness is the Greek word megathos. We get mega from it. Great, gigantic, colossal, like a megaton atomic bomb. Tell them, uh, men, before the service that when I was uh, on active duty, before I went into the reserves on active duty, I was a munitions officer. I mean, we were on bombs that fill this stage and wipe out not just one city, but maybe one, one or two cities, megaton atomic bombs. Not just a stick of dynamite, but tons and tons, tens of thousands of tons of dynamite. The point is this, Paul is talking about God's power. God's power. But not just power, it's mega power. Mega power. And then he goes even further. Paul says it's, it's, it's power. No, no, it's, it's great power. Uh, no, it's immeasurable great power. 
Imagine the greatest power imaginable. Well, God's power goes far beyond that. How far? You don't have numbers to calculate it. There are no numbers to calculate it. And what kind of power could that be? Well, he tells you. Verse 19 says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working... Working there is, we get energy from it. It's power in action of his great might, his strength, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's the power that he wants to be in us. What power does God want you to experience in your everyday life? It's the power of an empty tomb. Jesus is alive. It's the power of a love so great that God himself became a man and died upon Calvary's cross so that our sins might be paid for. Our lives changed and heaven be our home. And God says, I want you to know about that. No, I want you to really know about that. In fact, Paul continues to write about this in chapter 3 of Ephesians. Your Bibles are still open. Look at uh, verse 16. I'll have to read it from the ESV, but maybe you can follow along. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with uh, power through his strength in the inner man, the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul says, God wants you to experience a power that enables you to live by faith in Him every moment of your life. A power that enables you to know what is impossible to be known must only come from Him. The indescribable, the unbelievable, and the unimaginable love of God. He wants you to know its breadth its length, its height, its depth, and to be so rooted in it that you actually begin to live and to love like He does. See, I don't know if I could do that. You can't. Go back to page one. You can't do it by yourself. Please take this home with you. We can say we are Christians. But if you look at a note, your notes, but to be taken seriously by the world around us, people must see in us the power of the cross and the resurrection. They don't see that. They don't see Christ. That's God's desire for you. That's his prayer for you this morning. And I can tell you, that the greatest people that God ever used were really the least likely to be used. Paul, the great persecutor of the church. Peter, an uneducated fisherman. Abraham, an unknown man living in a pagan society. Moses, a stammering has-been prince of Egypt. But God called them, He filled them, He turned them around, and He used them to change the world. 
Wow. And God's not changed. He's still doing it. Still doing it. If you give him your heart, if you give him your life, if you give him your best, there are no limits to what God is able to do through you. So what will it be? What will it be? In a, a house with a crowd this large, there are people here who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know Jesus, but not as your Lord and Savior. Again, you say, Pastor, you don't know me. I, I started going to this church nine months before I was born. Okay. I, I've hardly ever missed a Sunday. Well, I started preaching when I was 15. Spent four and a half years at Southwestern Seminary. But got saved my first year in the Air Force. I was religious. I knew the, I knew the truth. But it wasn't until I put my, my faith in Him and threw in the towel that I had assurance of my salvation. Or to put in a, that I knew the truth that set me free. And that may be your story this morning. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Before we have the invitation, and I, I don't know, you have a song, okay? Before we have the, uh, the final song and the invitation, let me just invite you right now to look inside and, and just, just ask God, what do you want me to do with all this? What do you want me to do with what I've heard this morning? Apply, apply your word, not the words of a preacher, but your words to my life. And it may be that somebody here that as you say that, you, you begin to sense an emptiness inside. A serious doubt about your eternal future. And I, I can just tell you, I've been there and I know what it's like. Why not surrender and make it sure? Why not just right now, in the privacy of your own mind and heart, tell him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I admit it. I can't save myself. But Jesus, I accept that on the cross you died for me. And right now, I want to invite you into my heart and life to save me. Take away my sins. And Jesus, as you rose again the third day and you're alive, I want you to live in me. And Jesus, tell him this if you can, Jesus, I promise that with your help, I will live for you to the day I die. Father, I I pray that there are some who this morning earnestly, sincerely prayed that prayer. And if so, I know you heard them and you've given the promise that if we Call upon the name of the Lord. You not only hear, but you answer. And Father, if you've entered their heart right now, they've been born again, then I pray you'd give them the courage to make it known so that others might follow in their example. I pray that their first witness, the first thing they do for you would be to just simply step forward and cry uncle and say, I want people to know I just accepted Jesus into my heart. Heaven is my home. Lord, would you do that for your glory, for your sake, 
In Jesus' name, amen.